Friday, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today, May 29th. Frank Stanfield here with Scotty Dubs, Scott White, and even while on staycation, you can't stop the man. It's C-P-T. Chris Towers. Chris, how's your week been going? I saw you post some pics, uh, pics with the new doggo. Yeah, I got a new puppy last Saturday. We rescued him. His name is Stevie Nicks. Uh, we have a boy dog named Stevie Nicks and a girl cat named David Bowie. So, you know, keeping in with that theme. And uh, he's a delight. Been taking him on long walks. Uh, and it's really, it's, it's, it's made my, my staycation all that much more fruitful. I also finally won a round of Warzone on Call of Duty. So it's really been a banner week in the Towers household. <laughs> so you've accomplished everything you need to do accomplish. And Pretty much. I got, I got some household chores I need to get done uh, before the end of the day, but otherwise I'm good. Just can't stay away, Chris. You just, need, you just need a microphone in front of you. Can't take a simple vacation. We, we shame Adam when he takes a vacation. We shame, shame Chris when he works on his vacation. That's how it goes here. I mean, look, it's my first podcast of the week uh, <laughs> you wanted to do every day didn't you? initially but like once the week started <laughs> i was like no <laughs> i don't you. blame you either <laughs> you're on staycation enjoy it as much as you possibly can but we're we're happy to have you here this friday uh, we're also happy to have scott of course today on the show we're going to be talking about the leftovers basically players we haven't talked about yet or haven't talked about enough and an article that scott wrote recently about X-E-R-A. The other day we heard the debut of A-E-R-A, Adam's E-R-A. Now we're going to find out what X-E-R-A is. Oh, God. But what leftovers. What did he do? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know that you would have enjoyed that, Chris. Um, Scott, are you a fan of leftovers, like food leftovers? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not one of those people who turns my nose up to leftovers. The amount I enjoy leftovers depends on how much I enjoyed the meal initially, but... You know, it's it's always a fraction of that enjoyment, but it, it does cross the threshold of, of of enjoyment, and I do enjoy them. I look forward to it the second time around. I feel like leftovers are very split. It's a very, you know, it's some people like them, some people don't. I eat leftover yeah. garlic knots from last night for lunch, so right. that tells you where I'm at. So I have no issue with leftovers at all. The, the, the key is figuring out the way to reheat the leftovers so that it, it, it so that you retain the texture Absolutely. yeah that's that's the biggest thing it depends on what we're talking about here like if we're talking about you know like fries there's no point in reheating fries there's uh, no way to do it right they toaster they, oven toaster oven i, I don't I have a toaster oven scott i'm i'm in a tiny new york apartment i got a that's tiny a oven changer. and that's it i don't have a microwave chris I, I live regular in a toaster chris i live in a basement no. if i oh, live okay. in a basement and i have a toaster oven you can have a toaster oven chris there's just, I, I can't. It's too. When's your birthday? Space. When's your birthday? Sorry. What's that? When's your birthday? July fourth. All right, July fourth. Hopefully, we'll be watching baseball on your birthday, and uh, I'll buy you. Be a, I'll buy you a toaster oven. 
<laughs> that would yeah, be great. Yeah, it'd be an eventful day. <laughs> <laughs> a toaster oven and baseball. And of course, and Chris's July birthday. And Chris's birthday. All right, XERA, let's get into this. We've heard about FIP, XFIP, Sierra, the newest Adam ERA, AERA. Um, and XERA is basically the latest in a long line of ERA estimators. And this one comes from StatCast, Scott. And we cite a lot of StatCast stats here on the show. Expected batting average, expected slugging percentage, expected WOBA, barrel percentage, average exit velocity. And it seems like now that they've come up with their their own pitching estimator. So you wrote a whole article about this on CBSSports.com. What did you learn and did it change your opinion on anybody? I will mention a few of the big winners and losers after you give your thoughts. All right, so I'll kind of take you a little bit through my history here with these ERA estimators. My favorite, my my longtime favorite was FIP because it really just assesses a pitcher, estimates his ERA based on the three factors we traditionally think of as being in a pitcher's direct control, the three true outcomes, strikeouts, walks, home runs. Estimates an ERA based on that. But with the home run explosion of the past few years, I kind of gravitated more toward XFIP because what XFIP does differently from FIP is it substitutes fly ball rate for 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 the home runs. And, and home runs, I feel like, have become a more random outcome as commonly as fly balls turn into home runs. And so to account for that, I, I transitioned more to XFIP. What... Statcast, what XERA does and what Statcast does more generally is it's it's figured out a way for those uh, not true outcomes, the the balls in play. Basically, it's 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 given us a way to estimate the likely outco- outcome of those events so that they don't feel just random and we don't need to exclude them as just random noise. And so XERA. In the same way it's done, in the same way StatCast is done with XBA and XWOBA and XLugging, it it incorporates that data um, with with those other measure, measures to to come up with an ERA estimate. Does that make it better? Well, it seems to be more accurate in expressing what already happened. If you compare pitchers, ERA, XERA, and XFIP, ERA that the XERA is much closer to the actual ERA uh, or just generally closer than the XFIP is. But does that mean it's predictive? It's more predictive than XFIP? Um, research so far would suggest it's not, though they're all pretty close. I, I don't think you can lean on just any one of these to tell the entire story. It's a good starting point. It's a good shorthand but none of them will completely explain what's happening for a pitcher and give you, um, you know, you can just rely on it blindly to tell you what's going to happen for a pitcher. So that's, that's kind of the broad analysis of XERA. There are some interesting observations regarding specific pitchers here. Uh, the one that caught my attention the most was Aaron Savale who is a popular sleeper among some in the the fantasy analysis crowd. I didn't really get it because the the main things I look for in a pitcher right now are um, 
always how, how good they are at striking out batters. Savale, definitely below average in that. And more recently, how good they are at generating ground balls. You can make up for a low strikeout rate with that, but Savale isn't so good at that either. And yet, his XERA is 336. That's compared to a 461 XFIP. So XFIP was sharing my concerns for Savale, but XERA 336, that would obviously be a very good ERA um, in the you know, 60 or so NXC three last year, he actually had a 234 ERA, but you know, I don't think anybody was expecting him to repeat quite that number again. So what, what it would suggest is that Savali is really good at, at generating weak contact, the kind that sort of, that doesn't lead to many hits and he can potentially keep his ERA down that way. Uh, but again, how predictive is it versus how good is it at explaining what happened? You know, especially considering it's a small sample size for Savale, less than 60 innings, I would I would say it's more expressing what happened than predicting what's to come. So I'm not, like, moving Savale way up in my rankings because of this. What I am doing is keeping a more open mind, like, in leagues shallow enough where he goes undrafted if he gets off to a hot start and he's still not striking out many guys. You know, maybe, maybe I give him a chance. Yeah, there. what I would say... Um to all of this really is especially when you're dealing with someone like Savali who has a very small sample size. What was it like 45 innings or something? 57 and two thirds. Yeah. Okay. That is, it's incredibly difficult to know which skills a player owns based on 57 innings to begin with. And when it comes to the ability to consistently induce weak contact, it's going to take even longer to know that because, and you'll, you'll notice I cite a lot of advanced statistics, a lot of, uh, you know, baseball savant, hard hit and, and all that stuff when it comes to hitters, when it comes to pitchers, I don't really. And it's because most of the data I've seen suggests that pitchers own, you know, quote own maybe 20% of the variability in how hard a ball is hit or not hit and hitters own about 80%, obviously, you know, Um, and that's just not very much. And so it takes a while for that noise to, uh, you know, go away and for us to know what is skill and what isn't. Um, But there are definitely exceptions, you know, Savale may be that kind of guy. You've heard me make the kind of weird Kyle Hendricks, Jose Barrios comparison before and they're very different pitchers one throws 94 miles an hour the other throws 87 but they both excel at hard at limiting hard contact and that's one where if Savala is part of that class we still need a lot more time to figure it out and I think that's a fair comp just for what we're expecting from Savale. I wrote about him origi- originally. He was part of my sleepers, breakouts, and busts in my in my breakout column here at CBSSports.com. And it was because I really like the command that I've seen in the minors. His swinging strike rates were much better in the minors than what he showed last year at the major league level. Um, and he did consistently get ground balls at the minor league level as well. So he's an interesting name. And I think you know that's kind of the route that we can see him going down is one similar to Kyle Hendricks. But, you know, among Savale, you have other names on this list here, Scott, that were either bigger, uh, big winners, according to XERA, compared to the other ERA estimators. 
XFIP specifically is what I was comparing it against. Against XFIP, and then you had some losers. And some of the notables, uh, the the biggest winners you had, John Means, Savale, Julio Urias, uh, Kenta Maeda, and Chris Paddock. And then some of the biggest losers, Herman Marquez, Kyle Gibson, Chris Archer, Kyle Freeland, and Robbie Ray. So was there anything that you saw among those specific players that maybe changed your opinion a little bit? Because I remember we spoke about Paddock maybe a month ago, and that, I think that's what really kind of got the ball rolling where you're like, okay, I have to take a look at this XERA and see what it's all about. I'm not sure it really it, – it, it firmly changed my opinion on anybody. It, it, maybe not it change got the your wheels opinion. turning a little more. Yeah, but add more context. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah. So Julio Arias, and, and he's another guy who didn't have quite the sample of innings that a typical starting pitcher would have last year because he was playing more of that swingman role for the Dodgers. So it, it's it's it, it's kind of unfair to use him anyway. But I was struggling with how much I liked him, how good I thought he could be, and the fact that he had a 428 XFIP last year. Um his XERA is 309. His actual ERA was 249, but obviously you'll take a 309 ERA. Uh, even, even uh, you know, if you're acknowledging that 249 is too good to be true. Uh, but 428, you know, d- did did he have quite the skills to be as dominant as I believed he could be, as everybody else seemed to be thinking he could be? Um, you know, I, I was kind of just tuning it out recognizing that the talent level will probably be enough to, to push him over and that the sample size may have skewed what that number turned out to be anyway. And uh, XERA, you know, the fact that it's so much lower reassures me it's the right way to go with Arias. So that was that was one example. Um, it seems like the ones I'm picking out are all small sample size guys, but I was going to say <laughs> Tyler Glass now, 294 X fit 178 ERA. Obviously, we talked about how inning for inning he was the best pitcher in baseball last year. 178 ERA. Obviously, 178 too good to be true. You can't expect anybody to sustain that from one year to the next. The X FIP was 294, which would still be a great ERA. In fact, if he qualified, Glasnow would have had the third lowest X FIP among qualifiers last year behind just Colin Scherzer, I think. So 294 would be great. His X ERA though, 229, even better. So that that seemed like good news for him. Uh, a couple of Twins pitchers who I'm more skeptical of personally, Jake Odorizzi, 3.51 ERA, but a 4.33 xFIP. Jose Barrios, 3.68 ERA, but a 4.32 xFIP. I mean, you get up into the 4.30s in ERA, that's you know, you know you're not going to be that fantasy relevant, generally speaking. Uh, but the xERA was much fairer to them. It was still higher than their actual ERA, but it was closer to four rather than 430 for each of them, uh, you know, suggesting that there are skills they have that go beyond just the, the true outcomes. And maybe I'm not accounting enough for those. Yeah, it opened my eyes up a little bit more to Chris Paddock because originally I was worried about his 405 XFIP, but 328 XERA was actually better than his actual 3.33 ERA. So that was one where I was like, okay, I got to start to dive into this a little bit more and Chris is about to tell me why I'm wrong and well, why no, he no. I just <laughs> I think it's important to also like 
it's hard to do with Tyler Glass now because he's such a different pitcher now than he ever was before. Um, but like we should also look at the track records and how those reflect the the ERA and XFIP gap. Obviously, we're not going to have XERA for Chris Paddock when he was in A ball in 2016. But basically, for his career, you look season by season, and there's a couple seasons where his ERA, or a couple partial seasons where his ERA is a little bit lower than his XFIP. Uh, there's a couple where it's a little higher. But for the most part, you're not really looking at someone who dramatically overperformed his peripherals year over year. And that for me, you know, whether XERA helps us quantify what goes into that is, I think, a different story. Uh, But for me, the most telling thing is going to be the guys who have been able to consistently outperform uh, or underperform their you know er estimators and i think there's a really good piece on baseball prospectus maybe last year or two years ago when uh when baseball savant introduced xwoba and you had like xwoba for pitchers which is very similar to xera it's basically just trying to account for the true outcomes uh that a pitcher created and that that basically he did the the author who I can't remember, sorry, uh, did like a bunch of regression analysis of every different type of, you know, Sierra and DRA from baseball prospectus and FIP and XFIP. And FIP is like the most crude version of what we're talking about. FIP is basically just strikeouts, walks, and home runs, nothing else. Um, and like some of them are more accurate than FIP. And some of them are more predictive, but you're talking about pretty narrow ranges overall, uh, which and, is to say that we kind of, we mostly cracked that riddle. Like when, whenever Voros McCracken uh, came up with the idea in the early 2000s. And so we can improve on them, but we're, we're talking about relatively slim margins of improvement, I guess is the way to say it. Yeah. Dan, Richards, Dan Richards. I always think of yes. Dave Richard. It's like the opposite of his name, Dan <laughs> Richards. Is uh, for pitcher list. He uh, he did some. He shared some research he did uh, that actually showed FIP. Well, it's not the best at S. It's not the best at reflecting what already happened. Of the four big ones, it's not the best at that. It is the best at predicting what's going to happen the following year. Small margins, like you said, so I don't know that we should apply that across the board to every single pitcher. But, you know, it, it seems like only marginal improvements are going to happen, um, you know, on, on this front. And, and I don't know that XERA is necessarily a game changer. I feel like if Adam were here, his head would probably be spinning and he probably would have gotten to a fight with Chris already. About- right, but like, <laughs> the thing is... He's not. Well, he's not, and also, like, no, you love, love Adam. Can't bad talk him. He's Great not here. Guy. <laughs> like, he is objectively don't do it. Uh, d- is not promoting the the objectively correct worldview. All of these. The, the the point is, the reason you should use XERA or DERA or Sierra or FIP or XFIP or whatever stat you want to use 
the reason you should use them is because they are more predictive and more telling of a pitcher's true talent level than ERA. Well said. You know what that's ultimately what it comes down to. I said it backwards, man. Somebody's going to correct me for this. All right. So let me, let me just re- set the record straight, even though I'm sure nobody cares. I care. Except the guy I, I care. Just, except the guy I just misrepresented. So Dan Richards of Pitcher List, what his research showed nice guy. was that FIP actually does a better, better job of expressing what already happened. XFIP. And Sierra, actually, I think Sierra a little better than XFIP, but yeah. those two are the ones that better predict what's going to happen and next year. From, I said FIP did. I got it. I got it backwards. From what I understand, baseball prospectuses DERA uh, is even slightly more predictive. Um, I think one of the key distinctions there is it takes into account um, uh, catch pitch framing is the phrase I was looking for. Yeah, I, I believe that's one of the key places it differentiates itself is it takes into account pitch framing, but that's also not super sticky and predictive, especially when you're talking about like the White Sox and Brewers this year. Yasmani Grandal is pretty much unanimously considered, if not the best pitch framer in baseball, the best pitch framer in baseball who plays nearly every day. And so what kind of impact that's going to have on those two staffs, it it seems like it should be pretty significant, but I'm not sure we've quite cracked predicting that. Let's go, Lucas Giolito. You know what they say, when Adam is away, advanced statistics are in play, so that's why we had to have this conversation while Adam wasn't around on this Friday. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, the leftovers, we're going to talk about 12. Yes, 12. That means you guys better be, you know. Hustle. You bet. You guys got to hustle. Two minutes per player. We're going to talk about 12 players that we have not talked about enough yet throughout this, this extended offseason. We'll do that right after this here on Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, 
eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Alrighty, we're back. The Leftovers Part 1. The reason I Justin say... Justin Thoreau. Who's that? Star of The Leftovers. Oh. Damon Lindelof. I have not watched the show, but I've heard very good things, so I might have to... I haven't watched it either. I it's, might have to it's, dabble. It's only 30... I think it's a little less than 30 episodes, actually. It you sounds like it's it. a lot, though. It sounds like it's a long 30 episodes. <laughs> It, uh, it explores grief mainly. So yes, it's a, it's a heavy, heavy subject matter. The reason I say part one here for our leftovers is uh, I asked people on our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook page to provide us some players that they wanted us to talk about that we haven't talked about enough. And they gave so many submissions that I think we'll have to do a part two at some point, maybe even a part three. Make sure to join our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook page. Let's start off with Max Muncy. I'm actually going to time you guys. Two minutes per player, so let's aim for one minute per person, so you guys can get all your analysis in. Oh, jeez. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna. This is gonna be a fun exercise. Max Muncy. If you had any doubts from his 2018, those are now gone. ADP of 71. Scott, what do you think of Muncy? He's got the dual position. He has actually three position eligibility: first, second, and third base. He's kind of just boring for me in roto, but he's a great head-to-head player. You are on the clock, and it starts now. Yeah, tons of walks. And I think walks, the influence they have in Roto is, is underrated because of uh, you know the, what they can mean for runs scored. But yeah, he, he absolutely shouldn't be a platoon player. He's been better against lefties, I think, each of the past two years, actually, than righties. That is correct. I don't entirely trust the Dodgers. Uh, you know, they're just so, so anxious to have the platoons. And with expanded rosters, they might even be more anxious to have them. And I don't think Muncy's going to be of much help in batting average, but I, I think he's reliable and a good mid-range option at second base. Chris, when it comes to Max Muncy, uh, I said he's boring in Roto. He's not really a target of mine there. Great in head-to-head points. The walk rates are massive. Uh, and yes, he was better against lefties last year, an 893 OPS against left-handed pitching. What do you think of Max Muncy? I think he's good. My initial thought when looking through early ADP this year and looking at players who were going ahead of him in particular was that he was probably being underrated for some reason. Uh, but as the season has gone, the, the draft season has gone on, and particularly this extended draft season, he's kind of, he kind of falls into that group of players who I think probably deserve to be discounted that you know, draw most of their value from their ability to hit for power. They're not going to help you out in speed or average much specifically in Roto um, to the point where I think he's a fine second baseman fallback option, but I'm not sure he's someone I'm reaching for in any context really. And I don't know if I've really drafted him much this year as a result. A 15.8% walk rate over the past two seasons. That is fifth highest among qualified hitters. So again, better in a points league. And there you go, right on the mark. Two minutes for Max Muncy. Great job, guys. Max Kepler. 
Let's keep it with the maxes. I think he's a lot like Muncie in what he provides. Home runs, run scored, expected to lead off at least against right-handed pitching for one of the best lineups in baseball. His ADP is 123.6. Chris, last year, Kepler averaged 3.5 fantasy points per game, the same amount as Bryce Harper and Austin Meadows, yet he goes more than 80 picks later than those guys. You're on the clock with Max Kepler. Max Kepler is a really interesting hitter because I think he's very good, but some of the stuff that we talked about with pitchers early on, you know, applies to him. The, the quality of contact is very good, but he does make a lot of very bad contact. And what I mean specifically by that is it's actually more like a Reese Hoskins situation where he just pops the ball up too much. Um, you know, in 2018, he started showing the ability to hit lefties. I think he's an everyday player now, but I think you're looking at probably like a 265 batting average ceiling. And again, like I'm, I'm fine with him in the 120 range. He's just not someone I ever find myself reaching for because it's just that power and not much else profile. Yeah, I would say he, like Muncie, stands out more in, in a points league. Uh, the Muncie, it's, it's mostly because of the walks and Kepler's case. It's because the guy hardly strikes out. Yeah at all and what you you look at where he finished in in head-to-head points per game last year uh it was right behind carlos santana who himself was right behind pete alonso so i mean max kepler definitively an elite performer in in a points league last year five by five context yeah he's not going to be much help in batting average but what it really comes down to is just how legitimate was the power it seemed like he was underachieving as a power hitter with with some of the changes he had made to how he elevates the ball prior to last year uh but the fact he's only been useful in the home run category one year he's it it kind of puts him where max muncie was heading into last year and that he's he's going to be discounted some just because he we, we need to make sure he can do it again and I think his power was helped out a bit by the juice ball. He had a 519 slug last year, a 458 expected slug. So I think the power probably takes a little bit of a step back, but really good walk rate and is going to see a ton of volume leading off for the Twins. So again, I think those things favor him in a head-to-head points league. Somebody who you don't want in a head-to-head points league is Malik Smith. We know the deal. 46 steals, led baseball last year. I think the batting average can actually bounce back. But he's not a target of mine, and I'll tell you why, Scott. It's because if he gets hurt, you're relying on him mostly for your steals. You might not grab many other steal sources on your team, and if he gets hurt, you're basically sunk. So what do you think about Malik Smith, who led baseball with 46 steals last season? Yeah, that's true, and and, and not only that. Power, There, you have to... You have to work so hard to keep pace in the power categories just because there's so much of it to go around that you know completely tanking one roster spot for power puts you in a pretty pretty significant hole there uh not only you know is there the risk of smith getting hurt and and then maybe you, you know you finish you get buried in steals because of it but he was horrible last year he was saved because he played for the Mariners and they didn't have too many viable alternatives. And, and maybe that'll be true again this year. Maybe they won't be particularly interested in calling Jared Kalenic up in a, in a shortened season. And so they'll just stick with Malik Smith all season, but you know, D Gordon's projected to be on their bench right now. They, they do have other ways they could go. 
if Malik Smith is hitting about 220 again. And obviously he's not going to be stealing many bases for you if he's not in the lineup. So there just seems to be a lot of downside. It, you'd, I'd have to be in a pretty desperate spot for stolen bases to, to buy Malik Smith personally. Chris, I think if you want to take Malik Smith in a Roto League, you have to know that going in. You can't just uh, think on the fly, I'm going to take Malik Smith, because you need so much power to surround him with in order to have him on your team. Yeah, I think that's fair. But, you know, the stolen base specialist isn't exactly new. And in his particular case, he's not necessarily just a stolen base specialist. Last season, he was because he hit 227. However, uh, you know, the year before, he hit, what, 300? We're very close to it. 290-something, yeah. He was a 277 hitter entering 2019. Yeah, I think we're looking at those are the ranges. You know, you're looking at 227 as the floor, 290-something as the ceiling. I would expect him to hit, like, 275. But that's close to being helpful in this era. It might even be a, a slight plus. Uh, and if he does hit 275, you're going to get a decent amount of runs from him and the potential to lead the league in steals. So Malik Smith is actually someone I think, um, you know, like Edwin Diaz, he's someone I'm definitely trying to catch on the, on the drop. Um, you know, really hyped a year ago. I don't think he's as bad as he was last year. Another roto target of mine is Scott Kingery, and he can provide steals without hurting the power numbers last year, 19 home runs and 15 steals. Um, Chris, I actually think he's a lot like Byron Buxton to me. You know, why aren't more people excited about Scott Kingery? He doesn't have near the talent level of someone like Byron Buxton. Byron Buxton is the kind of player who, you know, I think if he, if he managed to stay healthy for a full season, he could pretty easily end up being a top 20 fantasy option, especially in a roto league. Now, obviously, the health is a big issue, but you know Scott Kingery brings the same contact issues, which is surprising because it wasn't that was supposed to be one of his calling cards coming up. Uh, but he doesn't have the the raw power, or in my opinion, at least the the stolen base ability. Although I know he does rate pretty well uh, by Stackhouse Sprint Speed data. I'm, I'm surprised that Scott, in, in a year when it seems like every stolen base source is being moved way up the rankings because people recognize the scarcity of that category, I'm surprised there's not more enthusiasm for Scott Kingery. I'm, I'm not sure. Because, you know, he provides power numbers, too. He actually had more home runs than stolen bases last year, 19 versus 15 and uh, 458 at-bats. I'm guessing... I don't know. Maybe people just look at the role he had last year, the number of bats he finished with, and think he's going to be the super utility guy, or maybe they can't trust the playing time for him. But that's no. I think he's going to play third yeah. base pretty much every day. Yeah, right. Michael Franco's gone now. Um, there's some. I, I mean, maybe Alec Baum will get a shot midseason to take over at third base. But look at the Phillies outfield. Kingery could move to center field and and be. Uh, be an upgrade there. So he's definitely going to play a lot. And if he plays every day, I, talking about a potential 25-25 guy. I just, I think the bat might be really bad. Like you look at the stack cast data for him and it's just nothing but blue. And I, blue is not good. 
I will say the hard blue is like starbursts in baseball <laughs> savant terms. I talked about Oscar Mercado when we were talking about so- sophomore slumps uh, yesterday. How I didn't, I didn't love the data for him, uh, but I think I and. So Kingery's ADP, according to Fantasy Pros, is 181. Mercado's is 132. So big difference there. I feel like between the two, I'm expecting similar results. Kingery has triple or double eligibility, but he could pick up second base as well. I I think for that reason alone, I'd actually prefer Kingery, even though he's going 50 spots later. Yeah, I think that's fair. Definitely a fair point. His teammate, Gene Segura, after three straight seasons with a 300 batting average and six straight seasons of at least 29 stolen base attempts, those numbers dropped to 280 and 13 last season, respectfully. Scott, is there anything left in the tank for Gene Segura? Maybe he is. I've covered his whole career, and it has been frustrating projecting <laughs> what Gene Segura is going to do because he's had a couple seasons where he was like MVP caliber almost. Uh, but for most of this, most of his career, he's been, uh, you know, he's been kind of a marginal fantasy contributor. I, I think the biggest thing that could, the biggest potential game changer for him is no longer Gabe Kapler, but Joe Girardi instead. And how will that affect his stolen base output? Because it was a, for a full season, it was a career low last year, right? The number of bases Gene Segura stole, uh, ten, yeah, ten after six consecutive seasons of 20 plus a couple seasons with 30 plus a couple within that six season span. So, you know, we know he has the potential to steal a lot of bases. I wouldn't hope for much more than 25, even in a best case scenario of Girardi giving him the green light a lot more, but 25 is a significant number in today's environment. And if he's contributing that much, it, you know, it doesn't matter it, it's I don't I don't care so much that he's only going to hit a dozen home runs or so. Um, and he's been a consistent source of batting average as well. So that, that's good. Chris, in Joe Girardi's 10 seasons as Yankees manager, they ranked top 12 in stolen bases seven times. So Scott might be onto something there if he gives Gene Segura the green light. Yeah, it's actually funny. I I very much was the anti Gene Segura guy. Uh, when he had his kind of sick second breakout. And then I've, I've really become a fan. Cause I just think before last year, at least he was a really solid, reliable four category contributor. Now the home runs you can maybe quibble with. He wasn't really a contributor there, but he doesn't sink you. He, he, he's not a nothing. And if you're hitting 300 and you're hitting 12 home runs and you're stealing 20 to 30 bases and you're scoring 90 to hundred runs. Like that's a really valuable player. And it's someone who has generally gotten overlooked. The other thing that I would point to um, for really Gene Segura, Scott Kingery, Reese Hoskins. I'm sure there are, there were other Phillies who disappointed last year as well. Um, that team didn't really seem to get the juiced ball. It was very strange. Like their numbers kind of cratered across the board. The anti Minnesota Twins. <laughs> and I think part of that was like they fired their hitting coach midseason. Charlie Manuel was the hitting coach, and Charlie Manuel is very much an old baseball head. 
And so maybe a new hitting coach will help them, uh, you know, unlock the best of these hitters. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, obviously, but it's a factor worth considering. Basically, I think most of the Phillies hitters can't be worse than they were last year. All right, we were over three minutes that time. Let's get back to two Sorry. minutes on our players. Just too, he's, he's too interesting. He's too interesting. Too Starlin Castro, someone who might not be that interesting. Not sure what to make of Castro. On one hand, he lifted the ball more in the second half and hit 16 home runs. On the other, he posted a 685 OPS against right-handed pitching. Scott, any love for Castro, who is expected to bat in the middle of the Nationals lineup? Well, we talked earlier about Aaron Savale and how I didn't really get the enthusiasm from among the people who had enthusiasm for him. And I think Starling Castro would be the hitter version of that. I understand he had a huge second half. I understand with it, it coincided with him elevating the ball more. I'm not totally sold on the idea that a 30-year-old with 10 major league seasons has reinvented himself so much. And we have, we have a long track record of mediocrity here. The 22 home runs he hit was a career high even though 16 came in the second half, like you said. Um, he doesn't run much at all anymore. He's not, you know, he's, he's not going to hurt you in batting average, but he's not going to help you either. So it's, it's really putting a lot on him contributing as a power hitter. And I just, don't, I just don't think there's enough of a track record to suggest he's going to be helpful there. Chris, Starling Castro, former Marlon Great. What do you got? <sighs> Uh, the most interesting thing I can muster to say about Starling Castro is he might have like the third best chance of all active players to get to 3,000 hits, which is wild because he's not good <laughs> and oh mostly hasn't been for his entire career. There were changes he made in the second half last season and very 30 seconds people left. Who are, what's that? 30 seconds left. Certainly people who are much, much smarter than me, people like Al Melchior. Uh, really like what Starlin Castro showed. And the, and the price is low enough that it doesn't really matter if you believe in him or not. You can take him with your 20th round pick and see if there's something there. I'm just very skeptical of it. Someone who might be a little more interesting, also on the Marlins, Jorge Alfaro. Basically a younger Wilson Ramos. He hits the ball uh, very hard, but everything is on the ground. His strikeout rate is also an insanely high 33%. between him and Ramos there, yeah. <laughs> Chris, you wrote about Alfaro's adjustments recently or what he needs to adjust. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, he needs to adjust pretty much everything. He needs to become a <laughs> baseball player. What I wrote, and, and I'm not trying to be me because I legitimately think you can make a case that Jorge Alfaro is the most naturally gifted, physically gifted catcher in baseball. Uh, he pretty much has... The, fast, the hardest throwing arm, the fastest sprint speed among catchers, one of the highest average exit velocities, one of the highest hard hit rates, highest barrel rates, et cetera, all the way down the line. It's basically like he's one and two with either Gary Sanchez or JT Ramuto in pretty much every category that we think matters for judging a catcher's skill, at least. The problem is he's not a baseball player yet. Uh, he's this just incredibly enticing collection of tools that, I don't know if he can put them together. He's already going to be 27 this season. So uh, the, the odds seem pretty long, but he's someone that I love targeting as a number two catcher in a Roto league, because if he does figure it out, there, there's legitimate star potential. 
with Jorge Alfaro. You know, he needs to hit the ball in the air more, like you said. He, he, he's got this flat swing, and he tends to get out in front of the ball. 45 seconds. But, yeah, I mean, if he, if he makes, you know, a little bit more contact and elevates the ball a little bit more, 25 homers and, and a 270 average is not out of the realm of possibility. That can make him a top 10 catcher. Scott, you have 30 seconds. Chris said about Jorge Alfaro applies just as much now as it did when the Rangers were trading him to the Phillies in the Cole Hamels deal back in 2015. And if he hasn't made any real progress along those lines yet, I mean, he's going to be 27 here now in a couple weeks. I mean, that's, I'm just not hopeful it's going to happen. That said, I mean, he's, he hits the ball so hard that he overcomes a poor strikeout rate and has a decent batting average. He's already pretty useful in a roto league where you don't care that he's striking out so much, but it's just, I, I don't think there's a lot of room to improve on it. Scott, Adrian Hauser looked great over his final 12 starts. The problem was he didn't go very deep into games. Why is Hauser such a popular sleeper candidate? Yeah, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt there with the innings because he spent half the season in the bullpen and was bouncing between the rotation and the bullpen a lot and didn't get a chance to be stressed, stretched out like a traditional starting pitcher would, but he, uh, the, the skills he has are exactly what I look for in a starting pitcher in today's environment, elite ground ball skills, like on the level of a Marcus Stroman and yet a pretty good strikeout rate too, much better than Stroman about one per inning. And his, his audition as a starter went very well. Uh, you know, maybe if he wasn't facing the third time, the batting order for the third time, maybe if he was facing the third, the batting order for a third time more often, it wouldn't have gone as well. That remains to be seen. But uh, I, I think at the range he's going, the skills are enticing enough to take a shot on him. Chris, the final 12 starts I mentioned for Hauser, 328 ERA, 109 whip. Are you in? Not quite as much as Scott, but he is definitely someone who I've written about as a sleeper this year. Um, ditto what Scott said. I have nothing to add. Sounds good to me. Let's go back to your Miami Marlins. John Birdie is basically the hitter version of Adrian Hauser, a 30-year-old journeyman who has sleeper appeal. And Birdie's 150-game pace last season was 106, 106 runs scored with 34 steals. Will he play enough, Chris? That's a tough question. Normally, uh, you know, I, I like to like to quote Ian Malcolm. Was that his name? Yes. In yeah, yes. life finds life finds a way. <laughs> uh, in this instance, I'm not sure John Birdie is good enough to confirm that if life did find a way, uh, he would be the one to take advantage of it. There's every chance that he was just a fluke last year. Um, if he wasn't, yeah, I would think eventually he's going to be playing every day. I think there, the potential isn't that different from Tommy Edmond. It's just a much less sure thing. Yeah, no, I definitely have a different read on this because he's a 30-year-old with minimal power. So I don't think, I don't think he's aspiring to full-time duty here. But he, got, he saw action last year after getting called up to the majors. He saw action at shortstop, center field, third base, left field, and right field. So they used him as a super utility type, the kind that 
subs all over the diamond and, and gets a lot of playing time that way. And I don't see why he couldn't fill that role for the Marlins again this year. And then if he does, the one thing he does, he clearly does well is also the most in-demand thing in Roto Leagues right now, and that's stolen bases. In 73 games last year, he had 17 steals and 20 attempts and uh, consistently high base stealing totals in the minors as well. The guy can clearly run. The Marlins are willing to let him run. And if he gets, you know, if he's, if he's starting two thirds of the time somewhere on the diamond, um, there, there's a good chance he's a 30 steals guy. And those are pretty rare. Will Myers might be my biggest winner with the universal DH. He is two seasons removed from going 30, 20 was having a big spring. Scott, what's the interest level here in Will Myers? I think Chris is probably higher on him than I am, but I I get it. Uh, it was weird how how much the Padres sat him last year. He ended up playing in 155 games, but a lot of it was coming off the bench. And um, you know, I, it just I got the sense they had moved on from him that they were convinced he wasn't going to improve anymore. So let's try guys like Josh Naylor instead and see how how good they could do for us. But you know, they moved on from Manuel Margot. They have more openings there, and like you said likelihood there's the dh spot is going to be available in the nl so it, it looks like he's going to play and like he hasn't stopped running as he's got older 16 steals in the limited playing time last year he's gonna hurt you in batting average but um you, you know he production wise i was just praising scott kingery i don't see why will myers couldn't be as good as him a minute for you chris on will myers yeah, I, I definitely am higher on Myers than Scott is, but I don't think like it's not like I think he's a superstar. I think the most likely outcome is he probably hits like 240, 250, which is basically what he's done every year of his career with, with the exception of that partial rookie season. However, you know, even over the last two years when he has really fallen out of favor uh, with fantasy players you're still looking at a guy who's averaged 20 homers and 20 steals per 162 games. And that's with, uh, you know, a really low plate appearance number for that playing time. So I, yeah, I think in a Roto league, he's someone who you should absolutely add. And he's going like 90 spots later than Scott Kingery. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's dissimilar. He's going over a hundred picks later. So there you go. Some value with Will Myers, Gregory Polanco. Nobody is talking about Gregory Polanco. Admitted, I don't know that I've heard his name anywhere. I drafted him on my Tout Wars team two years ago. He averaged 3.2 fantasy points per game, which was the same amount as, say it with me, Chris, John Carlos Stanton. I don't hear you touting Polanco the way that you're touting John Carlos Stanton, Chris. Well, that's because you're new to the show. <laughs> and you don't know that I was the Gregory Polanco guy in the fantasy baseball industry. Yes. I think it was before last season. I can't remember. It, it was either, it was both 2018 and 2019. And the biggest thing for it was he was a guy who, another guy who had all of the physical tools you could possibly hope for from a player. He's athletic. He hits the ball hard. And he just hadn't quite put it together. He was another guy who needed to elevate the ball. And then he started doing that in, in 2018 and looked like a much better player. Then he had the shoulder injury, and that's where it comes back to for me is the shoulder injury ruined his 2019. Can he get back to what he was in 2018? 
you know, when he looked like the kind of guy who belonged in that Michael Conforto, Max Kepler range, and then like the ninth, 10th round range, I think he can. I'm just, I'm wary of the shoulder. I just don't know yet. I wish, I wish we could see him healthy. Scotty only played 42 games last year. He was looking pretty good in spring. Any love for Gregory Polanco? Yeah, maybe maybe Kepler is right. I don't know. More speed. Yeah, more speed. I, I don't know that the power potential is is high. It, it, it's one of those situations. I keep waiting for him to hit for a higher batting average because he doesn't strike out that much. Mm-hmm. And, but since he started elevating it more, it's even less likely he's going to hit for a good batting average now. In 2018, as good as it was, his XBA was only 248. So... I. And then you factor in the injury risk. I have no enthusiasm for Polanco. I'll hear the I'll hear the argument. He's a post type sleeper now because nobody wants him. But I, you know, I I feel like I'd rather take a prospect on the verge of being promoted than get Gregory Polanco at this point myself. All right. Tough home park too. Yeah, it's not a great park. Not a great lineup either with the Pirates. We got to 11. I'm not going to do Marco Gonzalez. You can read about him. Uh, I wrote about all these players on CBSSports.com. I don't think that we need to use any time on Marco Gonzalez because I want to get to our emails, but for the most part, great job, I will say, I like Marco Gonzalez. He's underrated. I don't like Marco Gonzalez. There you go. Two differing opinions. Before we get to your questions, I just want to remind everybody that... College football is inching closer, which means it's the perfect time to unveil off-season rankings. All throughout May, the Cover 3 podcast team has been counting down their preseason top 25 in separate episodes, and this week they focused on the top five. Don't worry about a huge time commitment either. Chip Patterson and company have been breaking down each team in their Hurry Up Hot Seat series in under 15 minutes. Where will Clemson and Ohio State rank bringing back the top two quarterbacks in the country? Will Alabama crack the top three after losing Tua? Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. Also, today was supposed to be the deadline for our intro competition, but we're going to extend it to when the baseball season hopefully is announced. So continue to send in your submissions. We've already received some really great ones. The last point I wanted to make, shout out to the For the Peeps 2014 Dynasty League which is drafting this weekend some of our listeners and contributors on our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook page uh, came up with this league to replicate Scott White's Dynasty League, and they're drafting this weekend. So shout out to those guys. All right. Questions. uh, Fantasy Baseball at CBSI.com. This one comes from Jet. Hey, Barry, Bobby, Bo, Bert, and Bruce. I see Barry and I see Bobby Bo next to it, even though Bobby and Bo are separated. I think of, you know, Bonds and Bonilla, of course, for the Pirates, but I don't, yeah. I don't know that that's who they're going for here. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Fact, I was actually Googling it and I'm still not sure. You, a lot of baseball results come up, but it's just a list of names that seem unrelated to me, like uh, Bobby Abreu, Burt Blylevin, Bobby Bonilla, Bruce Suter. Yeah. I'm not finding I'm not. anything either. Uh, Chris, yeah. if you find anything, just give Is us a it shout. Is just like good baseball players from the 80s whose names start with B? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I decided to join a best ball league out of boredom while in quarantine and didn't know the best way to prep for the draft. I know the draft is the most important part of a best ball league and wanted to know certain stats or positions I should target 
Any advice would be greatly appreciated as I always respect your guys' views, advice to help prepping for drafts in my regular points and roto leagues. Anything on best ball drafts, guys? I'm actually taking part in my first best ball baseball draft this year. Actually, uh, Donkey Teeth of Razzball put one together where every team drafted 45 players, I think. Oh, this was uh, the Raz Slam, right? Yeah, yeah. With a yeah, couple part of, of it supplemental as well. drafts that are going to happen midseason to kind of pad things. Um, what I did in that is I totally sold out for hitters, actually. If you know, I, I was counting on how big the roster size is, and so maybe that makes a difference. But I, I totally sold out for hitters since I trust them to, uh, to perform up to their expectations more and kind of leaned into the the randomness of starting pitchers, figuring that basically any stable pitcher who I expect to keep his job is going to deliver good starts occasionally. And if I just have a ton of them on my bench, it'll plug in. You know, I can count on the randomness there, some not-so-great pitchers occasionally turning in good starts, and I'll have enough each week that I'll have a good pitching outcome, if, if that makes sense. I don't know that I explained that very well, but that's what I did. So I've had some success playing in best ball, baseball leagues the past couple of seasons, and uh, my main piece of advice would be do not draft closers. There's just <laughs> too much volatility yeah. in a league where yeah. it's just a draft and there are no waivers, so I typically load up on starting pitchers only, don't really grab any relievers. Um, and in the ones I've done, you know, it could be 40, 45 roster spots. I usually wind up with around 14 to 16 starting pitchers. And then the rest of my team is hitters. So just make sure to grab at least three of every infield position. And then the rest is outfielders usually for me. But I, I, I targeted well. a lot of versatile guys too. Yeah. To kind of, um, you know, so, so the, the lineup that's being automatically put together every week has more chances to optimize i have no idea who these five names are supposed to uh <laughs> represent like it seems pretty obvious as barry bonds bobby uh bobby bonds bo jackson and then the other two like burt blylevin Bly yeah but Dude. like i could see barry bonds bobby bonds bo jackson being related like as just like yeah. crazy athletes from the 70s and 80s uh <laughs> you know but then I, I just, I'm lost on Bert and Bruce. You're, you're really, you're really messing with my head, guy. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's Bruce Chen. It's probably Bruce Chen. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking too. This next one's from Tori. Keep Paul DeYoung for $5 or Mark Hanna for $4 in a deep 16-ish yeah. team standard Roto League. I mean, if Chris is saying Canna, you know where I'm going to go. <laughs> Tori also sent us an adorable video of her 19-month-old son who gets excited whenever he hears the podcast intro. So that was oh. awesome to see. Our youngest fan yet. I mean, there might be another one out there, but <laughs> the youngest one I've seen. So shout out there. That was great. Uh, this is a CPT special. I had to get this one in here, Chris, since you're here. This is from Ryan in St. Louis. He's bored during the quarantine and started thinking about if the Fantasy Baseball Today crew were rock stars, and here's what he came up with. Apparently, I would be Pete Wentz, who is the bassist for Fallout Boy. Yeah, you sort of, like, he's got, like, that kind of, like, side cut uh, haircut. Oh, like, it's I a, could see it's it a with haircut the hair. thing, okay. The undercut, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think, yeah, that, that that's fine. Scott is Rivers Cuomo. Do you know who that is? 
I do not know who that is. I'm Googling it now. Do Are we either most... of you know who that is? Yes, that's the vocalist okay. for Weezer. The Yeah, the okay. lead singer, songwriter Keyboard. for Weezer. Yeah. I don't think it works. Rivers Cuomo is an incredibly weird dude. <laughs> uh, and I don't think, like, Scott's a weird dude, but not in the same way. Rivers Cuomo is, like, creepy weird. Oh. Scott's not creepy weird. Thank you. I'm I'm less creepy than this famous musician. I oh, I don't I don't really think you're creepy at all. Ah. Your your weirdness manifests itself in different ways. So no, I I don't think that one works. I think Scott is um, the problem is you're you're kind of low key. You, you're yeah. you you play things slow. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I'm thinking like a like a James Taylor maybe. <laughs> Is that so? I what is that's it not an insult. He's, he's I, just, I no, love I James it. Taylor. I I don't think it's an insult at all. Um, is he going for mostly an appearance thing here? Because that's that's mostly what you went for with Frank. Uh, explaining it, or is he? Taking I don't know. Account no, because Adam doesn't look like Bono. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, which Ad- is the next one up. Adam's yeah. Adam's Bono, who yeah. you know, for those out there who don't know, is the lead singer of U two. Uh, did you not know that? <laughs> No, I did. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm still feeling out your your knowledge of popular culture. It, uh, it's it's non-existent, Chris. <laughs> Bono doesn't work for Adam. I don't think. Uh, I I didn't mind it actually. I don't know why. I guess Adam is kind of Adam does like attention. <laughs> Uh, I've never seen him wear sunglasses indoors, so that's kind of that's like a prerequisite for Bono. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I think you can do better than this one. There's there's got to be a better Adam Comp. Chris, you were Ian Grushka, Grushka. Yeah, yeah, Ian Grushka, bass player for uh, Newfound Glory. I looked this gentleman up before, and I kind of wish that you would grow out his whenever he had this like long blonde hair. I feel like it would be a great look for you. So. Uh, I, I like this one a lot. I do play bass. Uh, I've got one on my wall behind me. I love Newfound Glory. Uh, he's a, a, a chubby guy, but like a, a gregarious kind of chubby guy. He owns his chubbiness, as do I. Uh, and we're both from South Florida. Well, I guess I'm seeing he was born in New York, but raised in Coral Springs. Uh, the pride of South Florida, Newfound Glory. I've ah. seen them like 12 times in concert. So you guys swap uh, places. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that works. I, I, I'm okay with Ian Grishka. I, I think that one's that one's fine. Uh, fun fact on the Weezer front: "Say It Ain't So" is my go-to karaoke song, Chris. That's, wow. that's a good one. That's a tough one, actually. I, I'm yeah. looking. I'm looking at a picture of Ian Grushka from Twitter. It looks like some fan shared it, or maybe he shared it. But it's a picture of him posing with some fan, uh, a female wearing glasses. And he's like sticking out his tongue. And if you told me that was a picture of Chris Towers, I'd believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's got a beard. Uh, he's got stubble in this picture. But looks it, like it's he's... more like the eyes and the eyebrows, which are really accentuated in this photo because of the expression he's making. Like it, it could be Chris. Chris, when this whole pandemic is over, uh, me and you are female compadres companions karaoke we're going karaoke always down for karaoke you know what my go-to song is what do you got i believe in a thing called love by the darkness you don't believe it (laughs) but i can pull it off 
I, I actually do believe it. I could see I it. I have brought the house down. And I can look forward to it. Uh, Scott, when I make, make my way down to Florida, we're going karaoke singing somewhere as well. Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for today's edition of Fantasy Baseball Today. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.